Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another hot episode of Mark Side of the Ring. I am your host, Miguel Manetti, alongside my buddy, Nick Fiorentino. Nick, what's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Bright and early in the morning. It's good to talk to you about some wrestling. Absolutely. Happy Saturday to you, my friend. We do have a jam-packed edition for everyone here today. We're coming off hot off the heels of night one of the 2020 WWE Draft. A lot, a lot going on. So we'll just jump right on into it. Um, We did see a really, really cool episode of SmackDown last night, which uh, featured, of course, some great matches, storylines, and of course, most importantly, some draft picks. So I want to kind of just jump right into things, Nick. What did you think so far about all the picks for uh, night one of the WWE Draft so far? Well, I think that what they normally do is one of two things when it comes to these drafts is uh, you'll either see the champions kind of swap or you'll see some of the top stars swap. Uh, So what we saw last night uh, would be two nights ago uh, when you guys are watching this was some of the top stars swap. So I thought uh, it was good to see AJ Styles and Seth Rollins on different shows. I think Seth Rollins going to uh, SmackDown is good for Seth Rollins. Uh, I was a little surprised that Dominic and uh, Dominic and Ray kind of followed him over. I thought maybe <laughs> they would keep them separated so they can go their own ways, but it looks like they're going to be at least following each other into SmackDown, which doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be feuding over there. And we did see the breakup of the New Day, which was uh, shocking. I know you and I were talking earlier during the show, and you know when they had their promo over, they were saying we're never splitting up or whatever they had said. It did look like uh, the writing was on the wall for them to be split, and they did split. So pretty interesting stuff uh, so far in day one. What did you think about the fact that, and they did this last year too, they've kind of changed the concept of the draft where uh, before last year it used to be a, what they called a superstar shakeup. So if, if the person, if the wrestler wasn't picked, they would just stay on their same brand. Whereas now, everybody's in a pool, which means that you're not guaranteed to be on the same show that you were on before yesterday, right? And I know, obviously, it's a scripted show, and it's entertainment, but I kind of like the concept better to know, hey, no matter where you are, you're getting thrown into a a free agency pool, and you have to be drafted to your show, as opposed to just doing what we call a superstar shakeup. Do you agree with that? Do you like the way they're doing that? Yeah, I, I could see. So it's hard for me because, like you said, it's we both know it's scripted. So there there's not a bunch of superstars in a pool. But for, like, the realism in it, uh, you know, for, for a fan who doesn't really understand or a young fan growing up, yeah, that's, that's a cool concept that anybody can get moved at any time. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the biggest shock of the night, and I wouldn't even call it a shock, but to me the biggest surprise of the night was, uh, which I was happy about, was Seth Rollins moving to SmackDown, right? And, and AJ Styles moving back to Raw, like you just mentioned. Uh, I think it's interesting because, you know, you and I, obviously, we read a lot on the dirt sheets and we know what kind of happens or we think we know what happens behind the scenes. Uh, there's been a lot of bad blood lately between AJ Styles and Paul Heyman. So it's interesting to see that Paul Heyman comes over to SmackDown with Roman Reigns. Um, it leaves Monday Night Raw and AJ Styles had left Monday Night Raw supposedly because of Paul Heyman just to come on over to SmackDown the same show now to see AJ Styles go back to Monday Night Raw. Do you think that's a big win for Raw to have someone like AJ Styles on there? Or would you have rather had Seth Rollins or do you think they're on the same caliber? I think they cancel out. They're they're both super talented and can fight in any scenario. I mean, I look at both as as major players and main eventers, but obviously over the last year, 
Uh, they both have been mid. I, I hate using the term mid carters because it, it kind of usually means like a B level talent, but they have been mid carters. I mean, they haven't been. You know, it's the year started out with AJ Styles fighting uh, the Undertaker yeah. uh, in the Boneyard. I mean, he had the one main event with the Money in the Bank ladder match, but he's been really relatively lower uh, on the card fighting for the IC title. And Seth Rollins has been doing the gimmick he's been doing, which has not been uh, main eventing. Uh, he had the one with uh, Drew McIntyre, but that was that was kind of it. And, um, you know, I, I think they kind of cancel out. I, I'm surprised that you said that the biggest shock for you was Seth Rollins. Even though it was telegraphed from a mile away, the biggest shock to me was the New Day splitting. I mean. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and that actually was the biggest shock of the night. I, I, I kind of maybe misspoke when I said that. Um, you know, I did text you beforehand, right? And we were talking, like you mentioned, saying, I think Big E's going to leave the New Day because they're going to get drafted. But I was actually pleasantly surprised they pulled the trigger. And, you know, I'll, I'll circle back to Big E in a little bit. I do want to talk about it. But um, I wanted to ask you really quick just on the draft thoughts so far. Well, two things. First question I wanted to ask you is, if <clears throat> with the Mysterios coming over to SmackDown after Seth Rollins did, do you think this feud is going to continue with Seth? Or do you think they're both going to be on the same show and kind of go their separate ways? I think they'll both be on the show and go their separate ways. They can always go back to it if they need to. I'm hoping that it uh, is over and done with. I don't, you know, I'd like to see Dominic kind of in the different scenario. I don't necessarily need to see Dominic anymore uh, with, with uh, Seth Rollins, but we'll see. I mean, they, they can always go back to the well if they need to. There's definitely some juice there still. Yeah. And it's interesting to see that. I don't know if you saw the statistic, but Seth Rollins hasn't been on SmackDown in like, five years or something like that they were saying he's been historically a raw guy so it's interesting to see him on the other side of the coin for once um you know obviously wrestling being scripted it is what it is but it's interesting to see if if fox has any actual say on who they want on their show or not or if you know vince kind of sits down with both usa or fox to say okay well here's what we're going to do or is it just a matter of well we give you full autonomy vince we know we trust you know what you're doing so we'll let you decide on who goes to what show i think that i mean you and i've had this discussion before i think fox has more of a say than than people think um i'm surprised that fox would let the fiend go but i think with everything that roman reigns has been doing i think it's a fair trade-off for them to say hey we're gonna we're gonna take the fiend and we're gonna move him over to to Monday nights, but we're gonna give you this red hot you know heel character, uh, and everything that Roman's been doing has been great so far. And I know we'll get into that a little bit later too. But uh, I do think that Fox has a say. I, I just can't imagine them as a network not having a say. Yeah. So the the fiend officially did move over to Monday Night Raw, right? It's, it's kind of early in the morning for me. <laughs> I, I'm almost positive he did too. I was just trying to think in my head after I said it. I was like, wait, did he officially? But I thought he did move over. Well, what's interesting is you and I have been looking, and it, the kind of the rumors have been swirling that the fiend um, was going to go to Monday Night Raw. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know if they officially announced that he's moving to Monday Night Raw. And the reason I say that is because if you look, I don't know if you saw at the very end of SmackDown, they showed which talent was available in the draft mm -hmm. for this upcoming Monday. You saw Bray Wyatt's picture in there. Okay. So you know what? With with We both watched the show yesterday, um, but we also have been pretty involved in the rumor mill uh, yeah. as preparation for the show. So if he didn't officially move yet, that's a prediction and a move that I think is going to happen. If it doesn't happen, then then I would 100% say that Fox has a say in everything they do. Yeah, because uh, honestly, as much as I want the Fiend to go to Raw, I think it would be cool for him. I'd be surprised because, like you mentioned, Fox has a lot of say what's going on, and I have to think the Fiend is one of the biggest draws in wrestling right now. 
right? I mean, yeah. last night, and we can kind of just jump right on into this. Last night, we saw The Fiend's first ever free television match since he debuted about a year ago. So, yeah. you know, usually, to me, The Fiend is on the Brock Lesnar schedule where he only fights on pay-per-views. But we happened to see The Fiend wrestle last night on SmackDown. What were your thoughts of seeing that? Do you think that's something they should do more often? Or was it maybe just a, a special edition, a one-off because of the draft? Well, we'll talk about my point on seeing something too much and having it kind of, you know, water it down and kind of lessen it a little bit when we talk about the Hell in the Cell matches. But I think right now what they're doing with The Fiend is absolutely perfect. I would just have him do his promos. They're creative. They're interesting. There's a lot of hidden messages and hidden meanings in the, some of the things that he says. But he, uh, you know, fighting, I, I think, should just be pay-per-view. This was a big night, so I understand him fighting on SmackDown. Um, but no, I would I would keep him to just pay-per-view matches. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know this morning on Talking Smack on the WWE Network, they're going to release a few more draft picks, and then uh, it's going to cl- conclude this uh, this upcoming Monday on Monday Night Raw. So uh, we'll definitely be talking more about night two of the draft next week. But I want to kind of jump on into our next topic here, which, uh, and again, last night was a really loaded edition of SmackDown. They added two more Hell in the Cell matches, uh, and one with a unique stipulation. So now we have three Hell in the Cell matches. We have Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton inside Hell in the Cell for the WWE Championship. We have, which we found out last night, Sasha Banks versus Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship inside Hell in the Cell. And then probably the uh, most shocking of the night is Roman Reigns defending the Universal title against Jey Uso in a I quit match inside Hell in the Cell. So uh, I want to break down these three Hell in the Cell matches. But before I do, I want to start with the topic here. I want to pose the question to you. Is three Cell matches overkill for this pay-per-view coming up? Or does it make sense given the storylines here? I think it's too much. I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the gimmick uh, pay-per-views because of this exact reason. And, and of all of my least favorite uh, gimmick pay-per-views, this one is my absolute least favorite because if we look back uh, to 1997 when Hell in a Cell first was created, it was an intimidating structure. And anytime you have like matches continue more and more and more, and we see it more and more and more, it tends to desensitize and, and almost humanize Something that, you know, for a long time was, and I know they don't, you know, they don't bust up anymore. There's no blood usually or color, uh, except for the rarest of situations in Brock Lesnar matches, it seems. But, like, if you fought in Hell in the Cell, somebody was bleeding. I mean, even in, like, comical Hell in the Cell matches with, like, the Big Show and the McMahons versus Triple H and Shawn Michaels, comical matches there was uh, a fair amount of blood involved so there was always like a lot of violence and now it's like the more they do it especially in the pg era it just seems like it's it's kind of like disney movie-ish and i hate to refer to it as that because the hell in the cell when we were growing up was anything but a disney movie but to see three of them i mean first and foremost i don't want to see drew mcintyre and randy orton anymore i'm done with that that feud uh, so now they're doing a uh, Hell in the Cell match. It just seems like it's a little much. The Sasha Banks and Bailey match, sure. I think there should be one female Hell in the Cell match and one male Hell in the Cell match, however the case may be. Uh, and I, I love the fact that Bailey and Sasha are in the Hell in the Cell. You knew that that match last night was going to not be a fair fight or was going to end in some kind of BS. So I'm happy with that. And I actually think 
the Roman Reigns Jey Uso uh, match in the Hell in a Cell being an I Quit match adds a different layer to the Hell in a Cell match where I think it could be as brutal as we uh, used to see. Do I think anybody's going to get color? No. But I, I think it's going to be a very brutal, hellacious match. Uh, I'm okay with two. I'm not okay with three. And overall, I really just can't stand the concept of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. But that's that's my opinion. So I'm going to give you my take on this. Usually, uh, I would say three Hell in a Cell matches is overkill. But I think for this upcoming pay-per-view, it makes sense just based on the storylines. And I, the part I will agree with you on is I don't want to see Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre I'm not necessarily very excited to see that match, but given the history that they've had, right, and the storylines and the progression of the storylines, I think that match does deserve Hell in a Cell. I don't think it's just a random match put together to say, hey, all right, you two are going to fight and it's going to be inside Hell in a Cell. I hate when WWE does that. Is you know, Sometimes, we've seen this before with the pay-per-view, is they'll say, oh, okay, it's October, so it's Hell in a Cell, and it's going to be you know, whoever defending the WWE Championship against whoever, and we're going to put it inside Hell in a Cell. No, Hell in a Cell was created to kind of end a huge rivalry, right? Or take it to that next level in a rivalry. So in this particular case, while I think usually three would be overkill, you have Sasha versus Bailey, right? Which is two years in the making here, at least, right? Being best friends. And obviously someone like me who's followed them in their NXT career, we're talking five, six years in the making. Um, you got... Uh, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso, and that adds another layer to it with the I Quit match and the fact that Roman is going to teach his cousin a lesson by saying, hey, I'll give you another shot, but your ass is going to pay for it. And then, of course, Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre, where it's the third showing of their matches and kind of reminds me of Shades of Batista Triple H, where if, if McIntyre can successfully defeat Randy Orton, right, a veteran like Randy Orton a third time, to me, that'll cement his legacy as a top player for the rest of his WWE career. So, I don't know. I kind of disagree with you, buddy. I think, I think usually three might be overkill, and I think there's been one other time for, during the pay-per-view, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-views over the last decade, that we've seen three. But, and, and I think that year was overkill, but I think this time, I don't know, the three makes sense. I also think it also depends on where you position these matches in the card. I would say one definitely has to open, one definitely closes, and then you got to put one, sandwich them right in the middle. You can't do two, in my opinion, two back-to-back -back cell matches. You need some time to come down on. I'm just not excited about the idea of the three. I, I, I understand why they would put that match in Hell in a Cell, that match being the Drew McIntyre-Randy Orton match. It, just, it does desensitize it, though. I mean, you're going to see the same match three separate times, and, of course, the men perform differently than the ladies, but, I mean, how many different spots in a cell are you going to see differently uh, than, than other things? And I think we would, we would both agree, if I ask you right now, of the three Hell in a Cell matches, which one are you least looking forward to? Here's here's a concept. So you ever you ever play the game uh, MKF? Yeah. Okay. So MKF the three cell matches, and if anybody doesn't know what MKF means, it means marry, kill, and fuck. So <laughs> MKF the three cell matches. I'll tell you right now. Um, First, um, uh, I'm marrying Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. I think that match is going to be great. Uh, I'm killing Randy Orton. And, uh, you know, Drew McIntyre, because I don't need to see it. And for obvious reasons, <laughs> the F is what it is. I mean, do you disagree with those three? No, I, I would say those are the three. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with those three. I'm trying to decide which match am I looking more forward to between the Uso and Roman and, and the ladies. If you had to pick, you know, kind of gun to your head, which one are you most looking forward to and why? Uso, Uso and Roman. Okay, 
just because the magnitude of it being in the main event. I just want to see what, what I, I just think it's going to be a car wreck and I want to see that. You know what I mean? Like the ladies are going to put on a great match. I think match for match, pound for pound, they'll probably have the best match. Yeah. Because um, I think pound for pound, they're the two best superstars uh, of the six that are performing, which is kind of unfair to say because Randy Orton is a tremendous. And, you know, obviously Roman Reigns is really good too. And Uso and McIntyre are nothing to, to shake a stick at. But I just think that the, uh, I just think it's going to be a car wreck, and I'm looking forward to watching that. Believe it or not, it's Shea Uso's second Hell in the Cell match. If you remember, he was in the tag team one against the New Day a few years ago. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think all three matches are going to be very interesting to see. I'll, I'll agree. McIntyre and Orton, while I think it will be a good match and will deliver, it's definitely number three on the totem pole for me about the Hell in the Cell matches I'm looking forward to the most. Um, with, with Roman and Uso, you know, you had kind of gone on record here. I'm going to put you on blast a little bit. You had told me about four weeks ago that you thought the storyline was kind of stupid. Have you changed your mind over the last month or so? Kind of it's, not like, it's not that I thought it was stupid. I didn't think it was a stupid storyline. I just don't like when they when they telegraph or when it's super predictable who's going to win the, the, the match. But I will admit that based on the storyline, and maybe shame on me for not thinking it thoroughly out, uh, I, you can kind of see where they're going with it. We mentioned it on, on shows past, and I think if this entire thing culminates in The Rock and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, then I'm all for how we get there. Uh, you know, again, shame on me for, for, you know, thinking this was just a minor storyline and not looking at the bigger picture. Um, but I think that if that's the route that they're going, I could, I could sit and watch one more of these matches, especially given... The storyline, Jay Uso is a tremendous performer. I mean, I was, I was thinking that yesterday uh, during his promo. Uh, he wasn't even wrestling, and I just w- was back to what I think was really like one of his first great matches. And I know you were there, too. It was the Money in the Bank uh, pay-per-view where uh, they fought uh, – w- wasn't it the sh- – it was the Shield. They fought the, yeah. they fought the Shield, right, in the pre-show. Yeah. And it was like the best match on the card. And I remember being there live and being like, this is like – and to get the Philly fans or even the New York fans like – to get them to pop in a pre-show match, just for example, what was the pre-show match in the pay-per-view we just saw? Selena Vega and uh, uh, yeah, Selena yeah. Vega. Selena Vega. Nothing against her, but you you take that. I mean, that was like you you could have closed the show with that match, and then you go to like what is on the pre-show now. It's like you just didn't see that. So the, he Jay Uso is a tremendous tremendous performer so there there was no doubt in my mind that the match was going to deliver I just don't like when I mean Roman Reigns is going to win this match too and I don't like that um because we all know who's going to win but I think that the storyline and the bigger picture are what are kind of drawing me in more and more to that okay yeah I agree with that I, I think you make a lot of valid points there um with Roman and Uso, it's more about watching the car wreck than it is the, the result of the, of the winner of the match there because we all know that Roman's going to retain. It, it is going to be a bloodbath, that match. And I know you said earlier you don't think any color is going to happen, but I don't know. Do you think maybe there's a chance that one of them, that Roman throws Uso off the top of the cell or something barbaric like we used to see? Uh, I don't think he's going off the cell. Um Shane has in the most recently Shane and KO match, right? But Shane jumped off the cell, so it's a little different. But yeah, Shane's the only one that's done it. I think getting thrown off. I mean, if you saw like the Mankind Undertaker thing, like you, you have to be like 
perfect. I just don't think, and they're so high up. No, I don't think I don't think we'll ever see somebody getting thrown off. I mean, we might see like the uh, we might see the the Shane McMahon stunt where he kind of jumps off, but really all he does is just kind of falls. And um, we'll 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 see. I don't I don't I wouldn't predict it. I wouldn't put my money on it, so to speak. And I, I certainly uh, I would put better odds on the fact that somebody's going to get busted open. But again, I wouldn't put I wouldn't put money on that either. Okay. Yeah. I think regardless, though, it's a match that everyone's looking forward to. So, yeah, um, a, a lot of good things, right? Like we may have been talking about, have happened on SmackDown. There's another point I wanted to bring up to you on SmackDown last night, and I, I know I kind of touched on it earlier with the Fiend wrestling for the first time on free television since he debuted. But what did you think of the very ending there when he beat KO and the lights went off, came back on, and him and Alexa Bliss are like nose to nose? And I was honestly thinking, what are they going to do? Are they going to make out or something creepy like that? I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? Do you think Alexa adds a lot of element to this uh, to this feud here? I don't know if she necessarily adds a lot, uh, but I think she adds something different. And uh, I like where it's headed. And I think that Alexa Bliss is a super talented female superstar who for some reason gets a bad rap. And it seems like people criticize her an awful lot, but... She's been a multi-time champion. Uh, there was a time where she always had the title, um, you know, in the, in the not not so distant past. But, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of hers, and I think she adds an element to The Fiend, which is kind of cool, almost like a Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein type thing, or the possession stuff. Uh, but I, I like it, especially during this Halloween time. It just seems like it fits perfectly for what they're doing. I don't know how long you can go with it. If she becomes like a Harley Quinn to, to his Joker, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying everything the fiend's been doing. I think that, you know, to, to keep something going the way that it's been going for so long, uh, we'll, we'll tire it out and bore it out. So I like that they're adding a new element to it. Speaking of Halloween, I'm going to kind of go off topic really quick because I don't know if you saw this or not because I know you don't watch NXT, but did you hear that NXT is doing a Halloween Havoc pay-per-view? No, I didn't. That's awesome. I um, Hopefully they don't ruin it like they ruined Starcade uh, <laughs> and buried it like they did uh, the Great American Bash and some of the other ones uh, that they've taken. But no, that, that would be awesome, especially if they had the big blow-up uh, thing. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I was reading online. So they announced it a lot last week at the TakeOver pay-per-view that uh, I think it's whatever. It's the when, last Wednesday in October, right before actual Halloween. They're doing Halloween Havoc. And the first thing I thought of is you got to get that blow-up pumpkin, right? That big balloon yeah. blow-up pumpkin that WCW used to have. So I don't know. I, I think there's maybe a chance they do that. And I don't know about you, but Halloween Havoc was always one of my favorite pay-per-views in WCW. And, you know, I'm a, bit, I'm a little bit younger, so I only probably got to saw three or four of them over my lifetime, but it was always a fun pay-per-view I remember watching. Now, some of the best matches, I still remember uh, Goldberg's entrance against uh, DDP uh, at Halloween Havoc and how that was easily Goldberg's greatest match. And yeah, I mean, Halloween Havoc is a phenomenal uh, pay-per-view concept and I, I enjoyed it. And one of the ones I missed from WCW. Remember the, uh, and it's definitely before my time watching, and you may have checked it out in the later years, but do you remember the original, one of the original cage matches with like the electrocution chair? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <And> Halloween Havoc. <laughs> you had to put your opponent, and it was like kind of like the beginning of Hell in the Cell. It was a steel cage match where they had a chair where you, you, the way to win was to put the loser on the chair and have them get electrocuted. 
Yep. Yeah. I <laughs> WCW had some pretty fun ideas, and uh, that would that would top the list of of fun ideas. It, it was definitely hokey as hell, but it was like the early '90s. So yeah. So everybody believed that he was actually getting electrocuted. <laughs> exactly. No one knew better then. <laughs> so this has been a crazy week in WWE because we went into this week into this program saying before last night, Nick, that we were going to kind of kick off talking about this topic, but we haven't even touched on it yet. And that's that Mustafa Ali was named the leader of retribution. He kind of unveiled himself as the leader of retribution. So uh, I know you and I chatted about this offline, but you know, I want our viewers to hear immediately. What were your thoughts when you saw that Ali was the leader of retribution unveiled himself as the leader here? I think the the writing was on the wall for it to not be such a a big name, and that's nothing against Ali. Um, but I, you know, the the CM Punks or the Triple H's or whatever, you know, different fan theories that we had in our heads uh, were a little too far fetched for what the reality probably was. And if we had really sat down to think about it, I think we all would have come to the conclusion that Ali was probably the choice for the leader. I honestly, I, I kind of like it. It, I was hoping that it would deliver, and I've mentioned that multiple times, like that they better deliver on this because if they don't, it's going to be uh, just terrible. Uh, and we've seen episodes of, of TV where they weren't even mentioned on the television, you know, in, in some weeks leading up. So it sounded like they were, you know, starting to backpedal on that a little bit. But I think, Masa, I think Ali uh, being... The leader is good for Ali. I think that a lot of good can come from it uh, for his character. Uh, I think him being a heel is going to add a new element and a new layer to him, which I'm excited to see. Uh, I, I hate, I just, I don't know if it's MVP or if it's just seeing the same tired stuff from the Hurt business, but I, the fact that it looks like they're gearing up for a feud with them kind of makes me be like, wow, to the whole thing. But I do like Ali, and I know that this is a short-term feud, and I'm excited to see where they go with Ali uh, and Retribution uh, after this. But for right now, in the moment, I just I'm not really into it, just because I really don't care to see the hurt business and, and them fighting each other. I'd say Ali is definitely one of the more underutilized talents in WWE, and if you remember, about two years ago, before he got hurt. They were actually gearing him towards a potential main event slot, right? And the, with with WWE, and yeah. he was supposed to uh, be in that elimination chamber two WrestleManias ago, or the pay per view before uh, WrestleMania two years ago. He gets hurt. Kofi Kingston takes his place, ends up winning the elimination chamber, becoming the number one contender, and becomes the WWE champion. So I don't know if they were ever going to go that route with Mustafa Ali, but. What a story they can tell if they ever decide to go to it, right? If Ali, as the leader of Retribution, now that the New Day is going to Raw, and as long as uh, Retribution stays on Raw, they could tell a story where they attack the New Day, right, and say to Kofi Kingston, hey, this was my spot that you took, and that's why I'm in Retribution, because ever since I got hurt, WWE didn't have, you know, any hopes of me going back to that main, main event level, and they've been sticking me on, you know, the show main event or superstars or what have you, right? I don't know. In my opinion, I think that's a great story they can tell. Absolutely. I agree. That would be, and I've mentioned it before multiple times and asked you multiple times, what's the retribution? If they're all NXT people, what's the retribution? It doesn't make any sense. Ali, it makes total sense because that was his spot. I mean, you can argue, I think very fairly, uh, that if it wasn't for him getting hurt, Kofi Kingston doesn't win the title at WrestleMania. I'm uh, not saying that you know Ali would have, but 
he had that match and he lasted so long in that gauntlet match that he had where he developed like a big fan following, uh, he being Kofi Kingston, where that was going to be Ali. <clears throat> and it kind of drove fans to say, hey, Kofi Kingston, man, what a worker. And, and something we all knew, but really uh, spotlighted it right then and there. And that's the reason why he fought for the title was really that night. Um, so that is retribution to me. Ali can certainly uh, feud with the New Day for that, and that would be something that I would be interested in seeing because I love the New Day. I like the direction of the retribution. I just, for whatever reason, the Hurt Business just does nothing for me. Do you think more members of retribution are going to be added down the line? I mean, is, it, is this stable going to continue to grow, you think? I would keep it what it is. I mean, they, they have some female performers in there, so I wouldn't be surprised. It looked like, Naomi went to Raw, right? Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if Naomi joined the Hurt Business. Um, you know, it, it looked like when, you know, MVP, I don't know if you saw, but MVP, my favorite wrestler of all time, uh, tweeted that um, they, they showed WWE had a still caption of uh, Naomi going to Raw, and um, MVP tweeted out that emoji that's like the thinking emoji. Wow. So we'll see. I mean, I could see them doing like a, a Survivor Series match next month between the two teams. Retribution against uh, the Hurt Business. I love the classic Survivor Series matches, but again, the Hurt Business just does nothing for me. I don't. I don't really necessarily know. You know how long that's going to last, or hopefully not last too long. You think the Hurt Business is the Nation of Domination 2.0? I think that's what they're going for, but I think for whatever reason the 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 the, na the nation the domination we can go down a, a dark hole with like what they were like supposed to be or what they were you know almost like a Black Panther group yeah um, you know it was obvious what they were going for even though they did have white members like Owen Hart and Crush uh, at different different times it was definitely uh, an African American like pro group and uh, the Black Panthers and it's not you know I'm, it's certainly not that for the reason why I'm I just am disinterested in them I think because I think. Shelton Benjamin, uh, pound for pound, is the best performer. Uh, he's super talented, like one of the most talented performers I've ever seen. Um, so it's not it's not due to that. It's just, you know, Bobby Lashley I'm tired of. I think just the Lana storyline just kind of ruined it for me, for him. You know, I can't stand MVP. I think he's terrible. Like Apollo Crews, but he's he's been feuding with them. I like Cedric Alexander, and he's in with them. Just – for whatever reason, it just doesn't do anything for me. I would put Shelton Benjamin in retribution. I mean, this guy came back and hasn't done anything before joining the Hurt Business with WWE. And obviously, if you remember his first stint with the company, I mean, he was going up against the likes of Shawn Michaels. He had matches with Triple H. I mean, yeah, he was never in the main event, but he was always going toe-to-toe -to -toe with main event caliber, right? As, as somebody who could always work, always have one of the best matches, and... You know, multiple-time Money in the Bank participant, right? Always had a great showing in those ladder matches. What the hell was the point of him coming back? Up until the Hurt Business, the guy wasn't doing anything. He was almost being an enhancement jobber talent. So if anyone were to go to Retribution, I would say it should be someone like Shelton Benjamin. And, you know, obviously there's still time to tell, but I, I could see someone like Shelton Benjamin saying, you know what? Fuck this. I haven't done jack shit since coming back to WWE. I think you can argue that of all the wasted talent that WWE has wasted, he's he's number one on the list of of most wasted talent. You know, throughout the years, I mean, how he has never won the title 
I, I just I can't say enough stuff about Shelton Benjamin just being the best the best pure performer um, that I've seen in, in that role. I mean, he he's just so good. Yeah, it's 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 a shame. He was always one of my favorites when they first announced that he was coming back, which they did on a SmackDown. Remember, I think it was like four years ago. They said Shelton Benjamin returns in a few weeks. And I was so excited to see because I knew the type of matches he could put on. But over the last four years, he's been probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest disappointment since returning to um, WWE. But uh, yeah, we'll continue to follow and see what happens today on Talking Smack and on Monday for the draft as we approach night two here. Uh, I want to pose one quick question before we move on about the draft I didn't ask already. And that's, what do you think of their rule that tag teams and stables can all get drafted as one? Do you think that's a stupid rule, or does that make sense, or it's not a non-issue for you? No, it makes sense. I, I think that they should be uh, drafted as uh, groups. That makes the most sense to me. It, it, WWE is at its absolute worst when they, they kind of give the giant middle finger to fans and say, you know, you know, don't you know, forget reality or what makes sense. We're going to do what we want to do. And that's when it's at its absolute worst. Now – uh, I think it makes a lot more sense to have the entire team come over. I mean, even yeah, I'm sure we're moving on to another topic from the draft, but even with the new day splitting, we've seen them draft individual tag teams and have them go their separate ways. If it doesn't work, they could just put them back together again. Like they did Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley uh, and other tag teams that they split up. You can always go back. There's always a way in WWE to bring them back together if it doesn't work. But I like what they did with the new day. I like what they did overall with the draft, and I'm excited for night two. Yeah, me too. And, and I think you brought up a good point about Big E, right, is we saw his match last night, and I know you and I texted about it. This guy has some serious star power potential. And even though the New Day has been one of the most successful factions, stables, tag teams, whatever you want to call them, over the last decade, right, one of the most popular – I think it's time for someone like Big E to split from the group and to make his name of his own because I think he has a lot of WWE Championship and Universal Championship material. So uh, very excited to see. Uh, I, I want to turn on to the other side here, which is AEW. And if you saw this past Wednesday, they talked about Chris Jericho celebrating his 30th anniversary in pro wrestling. So uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see the, the celebration they had. It was hilarious and ridiculous at the same time but uh, before we do get in dive right into the celebration itself I want to talk about Jericho himself as the performer over the last 30 years I mean this guy's one of my all-time favorites and I believe he's one of your all-time favorites um, what do you think about him celebrating 30 years in the company I think 30 years for Jericho kind of puts him in a level with not a lot of people who who have been able to do what he's done i mean do i think he's the greatest superstar of all time no i think you can make a case for guys like stone cold the rock you know Shawn michaels hulk hogan depending on what your criteria is for the greatest superstar of all time for me i i think i go back and forth on this all the time i i, I think at the end of the day i think i have to go with the rock even though he didn't do it for as long um, and we can get into that if you want to get into that. But for Jericho, I think this kind of puts him in, in a here, – here's the pros for Jericho that I think separates him from everybody else. First, he's done it longer than everybody. I mean, 30 years is longer than Triple H actively. It's longer than Shawn Michaels. It's longer than The Undertaker. It's longer than everybody. The other thing that Jericho does, and 
uh, I'm sure like the smart people pick up on it is Jericho has not been the same Jericho from the first time that you saw him, the bleach blonde, you know, WCW uh, surfer looking guy to uh, the Jericho that's right now. He has redefined and reinvented himself so many times um, that I just think that it's just absolutely unbelievable for a guy like Jericho to be able to reinvent and see like what's cool in this current moment. And he does it on things like the list of Jericho, like that just got over. Like he, I don't think he thought like, Oh, this is going to be like the biggest thing ever, but he got it over. And then there was the Jericho where he was using big words. Uh, you know, the, the feud with Shawn Michaels where he, he turned heel and he kind of cut his hair and he, uh, you know, he's just, I can't say enough good things about Jericho as an overall performer. Definitely. I think top 10 of all time. Um, and, and just a guy who can mix in, he could be very serious and very lethal. He could be very, very funny. Uh, and just an overall incredible worker. I, you know, I, I love Jericho. There's a, there's a lot of reinvention of Jericho and I'm going to ask you your favorite phase of Jericho, but I'm going to give mine first. To me, nothing beats the suit-wearing Jericho of 2008 to 2010 when he came out, right? And he took his inspiration from No, uh, no Country for Old Men, which is a fantastic yeah. movie, and he would talk very slowly and use big words like, you parasite hypocrites. I mean, there is no better Jericho than that. I Galatin, love a lot. Gelatinous tapeworm, I think he called it. Yeah, yeah, gelatinous tapeworm. Gelatinous uh, tapeworm. <laughs> I mean, the guy was just money. I mean, I'll never forget when Stephanie McMahon fired him on Monday Night Raw and he came to get his job back and she made him get on one knee and apologize. And he literally <laughs> gets on one knee, takes the microphone, looks at the crowd and goes, I can't help it that all these sycophants out here are saying, and he was just going on and on. I mean, this guy has been money for the last 30 years. Um, I, I agree in, in the sense that, go ahead. You want to make a quick point? I no, I was going to say my, my favorite, and it's, it's weird to say, cause I've always been a pro uh, WWE guy, but I, I think the first time Jericho turned heel, in WCW is probably my favorite just because at just how stupid he was. I mean, the list, uh, the, the, when he was feuding with Dean Malenko and he had all the moves and he kept reading all these different moves and some were made up, but every four moves, he'd say arm bar, <laughs> uh, as his reason to get to a uh, thousand, a thousand and two or a thousand and three holds, uh, Jericho, um, yeah, he, he just has a way to make you laugh, make you mad, make you happy, make you sad uh, throughout his entire career, and you just can't say enough about him. Remember, remember the Battle Royal in 1996? I think it was Slamboree when Jericho announced all the participants, and Chavo Guerrero's coming down. He goes, he used to be a bartender on a cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just <laughs> – he would just um, – say like the most ridiculous things. I mean, like uh, Billy Kidman came down. He was making fun of him. You got to go back and watch that. That's I've seen it. Work. No, he, he makes fun of everybody. He's Marty Jannetty was on. It It was like the most random battle royal I've ever seen. Nah, he's great. He is great. Yeah. And 30 years of him has just been fantastic. And you know, what I love about him too, is the fact that he's reinvented himself so many times. I mean, from, when he first started in ECW and WCW to the white meat baby face, right. To uh, the guy we just mentioned in WCW kind of being that jerk off heel that he was comes over to WWE as Y2J. I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, I love the stuff he did with KO, the 
the friendship, you know, the festival. Oh, it was awesome. Right? Yeah, He's kind of doing that right now with MJF. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's kind of shades of him and KO being best friends here. But uh, Jericho over the last 30 years has been tremendous, and I don't think anyone would argue that. I think he's definitely a top 10 of all time. Guy deserves first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, oh, I mean, I'll ask you, but I think this is a no-brainer. I, I think he ends his career in WWE, right? I think he's going to go back for one more run, whether it be a long run or a mini run, just so he can get inducted to the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, I think he's gone on record as saying he could care less because whether he's in the Hall of Fame or not, there's nobody that doesn't think he's a Hall of Famer. It's kind of like the Pete Rose thing. You know, Pete Rose is a Hall of Famer whether he's in it or not, and Jericho's the same thing. Do I think he'll go back? Everybody's gone back. Even CM Punk, to, to a degree, went back to WWE backstage. So they all go back no matter how much heat is on them. Jericho will be back. He will be in the Hall of Fame. Anything that makes money for both sides – they're not going to turn down. I just don't know. How, I don't know off the top of my head how old Chris Jericho is. Do you know? I think he's 50. Do you think we will, 10 years from now, be celebrating 40 years of Jericho? Or do you think within the next 10 years he's done? He has to be done in 10 more years. I mean, I, I have to think he has to be done in 10 more years. But I don't know. Well, we've seen, I mean, how many, and I, you know, I'll play ignorant to this because I'm not sure, but how old was Ric Flair when he retired? I think he was in his sick, I think he may have just turned 60 or in his early 60s. So if Jericho is 50, and we didn't fact check this before we, we started talking about it, and, you know, but you look at The Undertaker, you look at uh, other guys who I don't think are as athletic as Chris Jericho. Uh, I think Chris Jericho could certainly wrestle into his 60s. Do we want to see? 60-year-old Jericho, I think he's kind of looking a little washed now, honestly. Uh, his appearance, um, I don't know what 60-year-old Chris Jericho would look like, but I, I think we will certainly, either as a manager, in some kind of aspect, be celebrating 40 years of Chris Jericho 10 years from now. The one thing you said that I kind of want to just quickly debate before we wrap up today's show is you said Jericho, everybody goes back, so Jericho will definitely go back, but... As much as I want him to go back, I want to play devil's advocate here. We've never had a situation where a company like AEW's come into place, right? Since since the death of WCW, since the demise of it, where now there's some real alternative options for Jericho. So what's to stop Tony Khan when his contract expires to say, I'm going to pay you whatever you want just to never show your face in WWE ever again? I mean, money talks. Do you think he's that loyal to Vince that he said, you know what, I'm going to get this company off the ground. I like Tony Khan. I like Cody Rhodes. I like what they're doing. I want to help them out. But ultimately, my loyalty is today to be. Or do you think he says, you know what, I'm going with whoever pays me more? I think Vince McMahon, well, let's face facts, 10 years from now or 15 years from now, whenever this conversation is taking place, there's, there's no guarantee Vince McMahon is even alive when, when this conversation happens. But let's just, for the sake of the point I'm trying to make, say Vince McMahon is alive. Vince McMahon is only interested in one thing. He's interested in WWE. Whereas Tony Khan has, you know, the, the Khan family, they have AEW. And who knows, 10 years from now, they even exist. They also have the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have multiple interests. I just can't see Tony Khan doing that and, and doing like a Legends deal that WWE does. I mean, we've seen... You know, look at Hulk Hogan. I mean, Hulk Hogan left WWE. You know, Vince McMahon wanted to go with younger guys. Didn't thought Hogan was too old. And Hogan went to WCW, put WCW on the map. 
became one of the greatest villains of all time and one of the biggest heel turns of all time, but then eventually went back. So I, I do think that Jericho did, will go back. But did Hogan only go back because WCW folded? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Well, the reason why I think that he um, would have gone back anyway is because there, it's, it's common knowledge that during his height of the NWO, like the NWO just started, uh, I think they were maybe in their first year or something like that, he was negotiating with Vince. So Hogan would always go to where the most money is. Uh, and in this particular situation, you know, like you mentioned, Tony Khan has just as – the Khan family has just as much money as Vince McMahon. Right. But I just can't see – Tony Khan just, and I don't know the guy personally, but I think that Tony Khan is the kind of person who sees the big picture. And I don't think he would pay Jericho money to keep Jericho away from like the WWE Hall of Fame because Jericho deserves the WWE Hall of Fame. And ultimately at the end of the day, Jericho would have the right to say yes or no anyway. Right. But I just think that everybody comes home when it's all said and done. Jericho will come home when it's all said and done. That's just where his – he could go back to AEW. I mean, Billy Gunn's in the WWE Hall of Fame, and Billy Gunn works for AEW. And there's countless WWE Hall of Famers uh, that are in AEW. Arn Anderson, Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, we're not going to go through everybody, but there's there's a ton of people. So I don't think that it's one way or another. I think they'll all end up back in WWE when, when the time is right. Fair point. Fair point. That was a good topic here. So yeah. uh, that's all we have for today, guys. I got one more thing. Uh-oh. Just one more gripe. If you look at Lars, who, who came oh, back. Oh, Sullivan. That's right. We didn't even talk about If you about look him. at Lars from, like, the, the, the chest up, like, just his shoulders, his traps, I don't understand why they couldn't – they use, like, this kind of stuff with Lars, but they couldn't have used it with Rusev. They have the same kind of build. Uh, it's just my, my one last gripe on, on WWE is, is just, I don't understand why they let a guy like Rusev go. He looks exactly the same as Lars. He could have easily done that. Do yeah. you agree or disagree? I mean, I, I don't understand why they just don't like Rusev. Honestly, you know, and I'm not the only one that thought this, and I've been watching AEW every week since Miro, now we'll call him Miro, came. The guy's just like, I don't know, there's just something about him, man. He's kind of, like, underwhelming. I, I, I think that's what it is. Like, he's just not, like, he's talented in the ring. He's funny, but I don't know. He just doesn't have the total package there. And I think Vince put a lot of stock into this guy early on, thinking he was going to be a, a big-time player for WWE. But I don't know. Maybe Vince knew, knows things we don't know, right? And that's why he's Vince McMahon and we're not. When he came out in a tank at WrestleMania, what was it, 31? Yeah. When he came out, well, yeah, I know you were. When he came out in a tank at WrestleMania 31, if he had beaten John Cena in that moment, in that match, do you think that Rusev would still be in WWE or be a main event champion at some point? That's tough to say. I mean, certainly could be. Are you blaming the, the booking on that match for the end of Rusev's career? I would answer that question with another question. Don't you agree that that would have been the turning point in Rusev's career? Yeah, I guess so. I think it was a year too early in the sense that Cena wasn't putting guys over until 2016, 2017. So we may have been a year too too early. But had Rusev had won, it could have been a very different outlook for him for his future in WWE. I agree. There's a difference between – so if, if – John Cena was the heavyweight champ at that moment. 
and Rusev fought him in the main event, or whatever the case may be, just fought him for the title at WrestleMania and lost, there's a big difference between him losing to John Cena for the title at WrestleMania and him losing his title, mid-card title, to John Cena at WrestleMania. And I think that losing that title to John Cena just completely ruined him in any way, shape, or form. And I would say to anybody who thinks that he is just not, he's underwhelming to the point that you made. I mean, what about Lars Sullivan is overwhelming? He's just, he's just a big, he's just a big guy. I mean, when, when Lars Sullivan comes to the ring, I think of Gene Snitsky. And okay. I can't be the only one that thinks that. And I'm not saying he's got the same build as Gene Snitsky, but, like, who the hell cares about Lars Sullivan coming out and his racist ass? Well, we know Vince loves the big big guys, so uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where Lars Sullivan continues in his WWE trajectory. But, uh, yeah, this was a great episode. I enjoy talking about all things uh, WWE draft, AEW, Jericho's 30th career. So we'll be back next week for the fallout night two of the draft. and all things sprinkled in with AEW as well, too. So, uh, as always, guys, check us out on uh, different multiple media platforms. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on YouTube. Find us on YouTube on the podcast app on our iPhones here. We're all with True Exact Radio. Um, this has been a great episode. I'm Miguel, my co-host, Nick, here, and we'll see you next time for Mark's Side of the Ring. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thanks, guys. <laughs>